Okay, you guys, welcome back to Some Sanity with Morgan Zeggers. It is July, July 2021. Time is frickin' flying. I feel like just yesterday we were told to stay in our homes for 15 days <laughs> to slow the spread. Oh, man, it hurts to say that. Um, how's everybody doing? Welcome back to Some Sanity, the podcast by Morgan Zeggers. Uh, a lot has happened. We're going to get right into it. Just a quick reminder for everyone. Video version is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio version is on all the podcast platforms. So follow me there, listen to me there, and give me that five-star review, baby. That's what I want to hear. Thank you so much. Um, first thing, first thing. I was just on Newsmax a little bit earlier today talking about the fact that a teacher's union that represents over 14,000 school districts across the country just announced that they're going to be pushing forward in implementing the teaching of critical race theory in 14,000 schools across the country. So uh, that's a lot to deal with. Um, and it made me think of something that I discovered earlier this year. And I can't remember if I've told you guys about it, but because I run the nonprofit Young Americans Against Socialism, I do a lot of weird digging into the funding of leftist groups, into the people behind leftist groups, the founding, all that stuff. And um, specifically, I love to look at Justice Democrats, Democratic Socialists of America, the Sunrise Movement, the Socialist Party of America, which is like the actual political party. There's a bunch of them, but those are really some core ones. And of course, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Couldn't forget those. But when I was looking into the Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA, you can look at their website too, and I suggest you do that after this episode. But if you look at the DSA's website, there's a whole section on it titled, Why Socialists Should Become Teachers. And so when I first saw this, I was like, why should they, socialists? Why do you believe you should become teachers? I'm interested. And I assumed that it would be something like, oh, we need to reach young people with our, our great thinking and our thought process, and we need to win over the young generation. And yeah, that's kind of what it said. So there were basically two reasons, though. The first reason was that first assumptive one of, okay, you want to reach young minds with more socialist-leaning talking points and with a history that favors socialism, uh, lessons that favor socialism. But the more important reason that they wanted socialists to become teachers was for the political power that is gained when you become a member of a teacher's union. And so their big vision is to have socialists become teachers. So first of all, they can push indoctrinating uh, curriculum onto children, but second, so that these teachers can join the teachers union and really start to become a large factor of the teachers union and take it over. Now the teachers union, because this is so important to them, it's because the teachers union is really one of the most effective and, and strongest political arms in the country. And that's for all styles of policy, not just education. And so the socialists have a big agenda. A lot of it has nothing to do with education or children or schools, but they know that if they had the political power of controlling and being a part of the teachers union, which is the largest political arm in the country, one of the, then they could actually achieve a lot in their agenda that has nothing to do with schools. And so that's why they believe teachers should become, or socialists should become teachers. Now, bringing it back to, okay, how do we see that playing out in real life? First of all, I suggest you go read their program that they published on this on the DSA website, the Democratic Socialists of America, if you look it up. Um, what's important is that we've seen it, especially with COVID. Now, 
in July 2020, do you guys remember what happened with any one example is the California Teachers Union. Basically, the teachers union demanded that they would not go back to school to do their job and teach our kids saying that it was because of the pandemic. Right. I mean, we were in a pandemic and they were scared to go back because of, of spreading COVID-19, whatever it may be. Had nothing to do with that, it turns out, because they said that they would go back to school and teach our kids do their job as soon as the state defunded the police and did all charter schools in the state, passed Medicare for all, and what was the other one, and then added a wealth tax to tax the rich. That's what would get the teachers union to agree to let teachers go back to school. So basically holding our kids' minds, our kids' mental health and well-being hostage and using our kids as political pawns in order to pass an agenda of, of all of these policies that have nothing to do with education and our children. Do you see what happened there? And so it was this perfect example of what the radical left wants to play out. They want to continue to have this kind of bargaining power so that when they want to, you know, oh, you want your kids to be educated? You want your kids to get a basic education from, from the school that promised they would give it to them? Well, first you have to give us Medicare for all, socialized health care. <laughs> first you have to defund the police, tax the rich, and end all other school options other than public government school. <laughs> So that's a little freaky. My message to you guys, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Government school is what public school is. So maybe we should stop calling it public school and understand that it's government school. And why, in God's name, would we send our children to government school and think that government school would teach our children that limited government is a good thing? Why would we do that? That's the thing that makes you go, hmm, why would, why the heck would we do that? So no wonder it's not exactly pushing a pro-capitalism, pro-freedom, pro-independence, pro-limited government message to our children, or even at least including that message as, okay, here's the political debate, here's one side, here's the other. Instead, our kids are just being straight up indoctrinated. And it's because public school is government school. So obviously it's going to create people that like big government in their lives left-leaning big government. Now, if you're a parent or a soon-to-be parent or anybody, I highly suggest looking at other options for your children. Do you really want to risk your kids' mental well-being, mental health, and ability in their future by eh, sending them to public school and hoping they get the good teachers? Or do you want to say, maybe this matters more than I thought, and I do need to get them out of government school. I'm not sending my kids to public school, I'll tell you that. I don't have any kids, I don't have anybody in my life to have babies with, but when I do, and when I have kids one day, you guys, I'm going to not send them to public school. Is that a little aggressive for me to say? Maybe. But I know that I'm not going to do it, okay? Well, here's the thing, though. Just because... We can say, okay, we're going to take our kids out of public school. Not everyone can. And unfortunately, in a lot of blue states, the blue politicians, the lefty politicians, are trying, like this California Teachers Union was, to eliminate any options other than going to public school because they want to force your kids to go to their classrooms. Now, 
What they're doing is trying to eliminate school choice, eliminate the existence of charter schools, make homeschooling miserable for parents to want to choose that as an option, and so on and so on. And so they're making it as difficult as possible. Not only that, not everybody who has maybe the option to get your kids out of government school can get their kids out of government school. Okay, I went to public school. I understand most people do have to go to public school, okay? it's it, This is not really a norm thing yet. We're making it the norm though, okay? Counterculture, baby. We're making it the norm. We're going to make it easier and more understandable for people to do this process. And I'm, I'm really looking into ways on how we can increase resources to parents that want to do this. But for now, we have to understand not everybody can do this. We have to protect the students that are still in public government school. We have to do it. And so that means monitoring the school boards, monitoring the curriculum, making sure at the state level they're not doing anything shady, okay? All of these things are really important because, yes, we need to focus on ourselves and on our family, and I think that protecting the family unit is the most important thing. But as conservatives and as people who believe in in individuals and people versus government and institutions, we have to put community over government and institutions and all of the things that the radical left wants us to like have top down heavy stuff. What is that? Oh, my neighbor just got here and he's in a loud car. But when we think about this, that means supporting your community and protecting the minds in your community, the young minds that are going to be the future leaders of that community. So consider that, consider what you're going to do for your kids, but then also what are you going to do for those kids in the community that have to go to government school? Mm, my kids are not, I'll tell you that. But that's my little two cents on that. Sorry for the very long rant. Next up, there's this interesting story right now and, and, Things keep changing, facts or understandings of the situation keep changing. But basically, the women's Olympic soccer team just played a game against Mexico, of all countries, and decided that not everyone was going to stand and place their hand over their heart and look at the World War II veteran and flag where the World War II veteran was playing the national anthem on the harmonica. And it was so cute and so sweet and Mm, it was just such a, a cute moment, such a sweet moment, and he deserved all the respect in the world. Unfortunately, multiple members of the women's soccer team just stood there, faced away from him, and decided to not put their hand on their heart or anything and looked like they'd rather be in hell at that point, like they looked miserable. So, well, they got backlash because it was super rude to do that to a World War II veteran, super bratty and immature and childish for adult athletes who are performing a profession to behave in such a way, okay? This is not a First Amendment thing. I'm not saying they need to be thrown in jail, but come on, people, okay? Don't be like, they have a right, Morgan. Yes, they have a right. It doesn't mean it doesn't make them an ASS. I'm sorry, that was naughty language, but here we go. Here's the thing. They said after they got in trouble that they were just looking at like a different flag. They just, you know, they just weren't looking in the same direction as the rest of the team because, you know, we were looking at a different flag. We didn't do anything wrong, but they were just like standing there like this, 
with their hands down by their side as the normal humans in the line stood attentively staring like the normal start of a soccer game. I mean, I used to play in middle school and high school and whenever they played the national anthem during these games, it's the usual thing of everybody stands in line and looks one way and goes like this. And it's a very respectful and simple process. You'd think if you're on the Olympic team, you understand that you all look in the same direction. So I don't really take their excuse lightly and seriously. I'm sorry. I don't. I think it's embarrassing that they would then go back on their word. And it's also really indicative of the fact that when these people do these things, when they act like children, when they do this woke politics, political play out in public, especially on the world stage, it's really not rooted in an idea. It's really not rooted in their heart. It's just something that's cool to do. You know, it's the cool thing. It's cool to do. And if you know Aaron Tippin's song, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for everything and anything. That's exactly what happened here. These guys that do all of this performative politics on the world stage when they go and play their games or do their movies or do their award shows, they are really not standing for anything. They're not rooted in principle. Instead, They're just kind of falling for everything that's being pushed onto them by the wokest left of them all. So they're falling for it, and it's because they don't have a backbone to really stand for anything. They just enjoy being the angry mob that they are, complaining and doing everything. The problem is they got in trouble. And I was just on Newsmax talking about this as well, and Jesse Jane Duff had a good point of like, maybe they did this on purpose so that, you know, they didn't get on their knee, which would have been a clear indicator that they're trying to disrespect, but all they did was just, you know, show slight disrespect by turning away and looking all slouched and everything, because then if they got in trouble, they could just say, no, we didn't, we didn't disrespect the flag. We were just looking in a different direction for a different flag. Don't worry. And they could just easily get out of it. So what a cop out. Now, here's the funny thing, though. How embarrassing is it that Team America couldn't even all stand in the same line, put their hand over their hearts, and listen with pride to our national anthem, considering their Team America representing our country, and they're playing and standing this embarrassing way right next to Team Mexico, Okay, so we have a crisis at the southern border right now. It's been like over 100 days of declared problem. Kamala Harris took 100 days to even get there, and she's put in charge of it. But it's a crisis at the southern border because massive amounts of people from Mexico and Central America and South America are coming across our border from Mexico into America because they want to get to America's shores. And then we are bratty, snotty soccer team can't even play the Mexico team without without disrespecting our national anthem. Isn't that just like the performance of it, the symbolism of it. It's so, so 2021 that we have a crisis at the Southern border because thousands and thousands of people are pouring in on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to make it to America. But then when our woke elite celebrity athletes play against Mexico, they have to disrespect our American flag because it's not good country. We're not a good country. There's nothing to be proud of. So I thought that was interesting. It's it's the world stage. It's embarrassing. And if any lib tells me, Morgan, it is their First Amendment right, I'm not saying they need to be thrown in a gulag. I'm saying they're professionals that should be doing a professional job and performing, representing Team America in a respectful way. Because I don't know, it's kind of the point of being on Team America. Okay. Does that make sense? 
I'm sorry, but how embarrassing is it that we go and play against people's sport teams that are their people are dying to get to America. They understand how exceptional America is in terms of our our principles, the freedoms guaranteed, the progress that we've made is exceptional as a country over the last 300 or so years. Not only that, but our founding. I really, I've been nerding out on our founding lately. Our founding, the story of it is exceptional because we we sought freedom from this oppressive monarchy, colonialist monarchy overseas. And we were just a bunch of farmers and a bunch of random people that were on our shores. I thought that is so special. Not only that, but our founders looked through every single instance throughout history of governments where they succeeded and where they failed and said, well, we've got to keep all of these things in mind. And here's how we're going to fix this problem, this problem, this problem. Here's how we're going to try and prevent this. And we're going to do it with checks and balances. We're going to do a balance of power, checks on power. We're going to do it with spreading out the power throughout the people versus the government. We're not going to allow one person to have absolute power. It's just every instance, especially with the fall of Rome, they looked at it and they said, dang, okay, how do we make sure that none of these problems happen here? And yes, we've had problems. I'm not going to say that, but our, our documents were written in such a beautiful way that it's allowed us to achieve such massive progress and, and work through so many problems. So really, I think so many people around the world recognize that and see that and the ignorance of average Americans, specifically the celebrity woke athletes on the world stage is just embarrassing. And I think the world can see that too. I honestly wonder what those Mexican athletes were thinking. They were probably like, you snotty people. Like the left talks about privilege, right? I'm sorry, but it is the most privileged thing to do to play against team Mexico or really any other country's team and not respect America's national anthem, the country that you're representing. That is just the ultimate show of privilege. And I thought the left hates that, right? (laughs) All right, you guys. So next thing I want to talk about is an example that popped up that immediately reminded me of my thought and concept that America's going through a cultural revolution. So if you guys aren't aware of this yet, you need to look up what happened in China's cultural revolution that happened in the 20th century. Okay, um, not going to give you a whole history lesson on it right now. I would totally love to one day, though, if you're interested. But basically, there was the four olds, okay? So Mao Zedong, who was the dictator there, the communist dictator, the ruler, one of the most murderous dictators, resulted in millions and millions of deaths. He had four olds that he wanted to get rid of in China. And so the four olds were old customs, old culture, old habits, and old ideas. Now, that meant kind of eliminating everything in society that brought people together, that kept the fabric of society woven tightly and bonded. And so imagine, I mean, imagine taking all of American customs, American culture, American habits, and American ideas away from us. I mean, over just the last week, I've seen articles saying why we can't unite with the American flag anymore, why grilling is actually bad and you don't need to do it, why cherry pie is racist because apples aren't originally from America and the sugar is from Haiti and random things, and I did an episode on that before. And those are just little tiny like random instances of like, what do you mean now grilling can't be a thing? Like now we can't do grilling so it's bad for the environment. Like 
no, now cherry pie, cherry pie is racist. I'm sorry, what? It's like, excuse me, what? And, and so I see all these things and I'm like, why are they attacking random classic American things all the time? Well, that again, those are just strange little examples. But the more we see the changing of language, the more we see the elimination of classic American history, the more we see the left attack things that usually as Americans we unite on, the more I continue to think, wow, this is really the getting rid of old customs, old culture, old habits, and old ideas in America. And they're being replaced with the new right think that we need to agree with or be sent to the the gulag, in, in parentheses for now at least, by the radical left. And so I've, I've said this before too, but cancel culture is not cancel culture. It's like cancel culture. You know, it's like some cutesy term. It's totalitarianism where the left cannot stand anybody having a platform that will be vocal against them. That's why you see them attacking people like Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan right now because they are thought leaders. I mean, Tucker is definitely more conservative. Joe Rogan's literally just like, uh, I understand that society will never work the way the radical left does. I want to have common sense and common ground. He's too lib for the lefties, okay? Huge difference between a liberal and a lefty. Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, these guys influence the thought of millions and millions of people and they're harmless with their thought. I mean, thought is not a scary thing. Challenging thought is not a scary thing, but to the left it is. And so that's why you keep seeing attacks on them because they've got to get these platforms removed from these massive thought influencers in the country that encourage classic American ideas. Now, I have two examples that I want to talk to you about that are just like, why do these classic American things have to be changed? Like why, what is it about our society that's saying we need to get rid of all the old and start new again? First thing, Disney drops boys and girls from fireworks announcement. So this is from thehill.com, written by Joseph Choi, and it says, Disney has removed the phrase, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, from a greeting announcing its widely recognized Magic Kingdom fireworks show. Everybody knows about the Disney World Magic Kingdom fireworks show. And it starts out with the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, What is wrong with saying that? Well, because 0.00 whatever it is, 1% of the population is transgender. Now we need to remove ladies and gentlemen from a fireworks show. It's like cultural revolution. So the change is part of a broader effort. It's not about one or two things. Now it says, good evening, dreamers of all ages. And do I care that they're saying dreamers of all ages? No, that's fine. It's, you know, they're not saying like, hello, boys, girls, trans, and everybody else. How you doing? It's just like, but why do we have to change every little aspect of our world these days just to fit these weird, wokest demands? That's what I see it as is like, Nobody should care that it says ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, but it affected such a big company in America that they felt the need to change it, a classic phrase. So CBS notes that this development comes just months after Disney announced that it would be adding inclusion as a fifth component to its customer service priorities. The original four components are safety, courtesy, show, and sufficiency. Now, speaking of concerns for safety versus inclusion... I have a fun little story, actually. Side note, uh, San Francisco, uh, they have experienced a 750% increase in some areas of the city in 
theft of vehicles. No, vehicle theft. So people robbing vehicles. And what happens, the security cameras on all of these situations basically show that guys go out in broad daylight with guns, smash the windows, break into the car, loot from it, and then just go to the next car and the next car. And people in the security cam footage watch it happen and are way too scared to like intervene or stop them because they know they're just going to get shot because it's that scary to go outside. So somebody from San Francisco tweeted that herself and all of her friends in the city that live there are seriously planning to leave and are looking for immediate steps to take to leave the city, not because of how freaking expensive it is, but actually because they're just too scared to go out and leave their homes because the crime is that bad and they're worried they're, if anything, they're going to just run into somebody committing a crime and then be like, "Uh, please don't shoot me in broad daylight. So she tweets that about just how she, her and her friends are, are wanting to leave and planning to do so. And the DA official, a senior DA official from San Francisco decided to quote tweet this woman and accuse this behavior in terms of like being concerned for your life and having safety concerns about going out in public as a resident and taxpayer. She said it's rooted in white supremacy, white supremacy. So your concerns that crime, specifically robberies are going up 750% in the city that you live in and pay taxes in is now rooted in white supremacy. That's what your senior official at the district attorney's office in San Francisco said. So that's the kind of stuff it's like when we see Disney say that they now care about inclusion and safety and everything. It's like, where do we draw the line between safety? I mean, we talk about safety of like women and girls in bathrooms where men can come and expose themselves. Like we saw in the recent salon footage that happened where a man with male parts went in and got naked in front of a bunch of little girls at a salon exposing himself And then that mom got attacked by the people that were like, you need to be more inclusive. And if he identifies as a her, then she gets to go in the bathroom. And, And then what I loved about it, the mom was like, I'm sorry, I have rights as a woman to not be harassed by the sight of a naked man in a place where I'm supposed to feel safe and in like a place where you're supposed to go to the bathroom and and get dressed and everything. So this idea of safety versus inclusion and diversity and wokeism, it's really showing that like safety is going down the drain as inclusion and wokeism in- continues to increase. Obviously, Disney changing the, the words in this intro have nothing to do with that, but it's just so interesting to continue to hear them talk about as if they want safety and they care about this stuff. I mean, even a DA's official in San Francisco, but then prioritize wokeism over the safety of actual human beings. So very, very weird. But again, with this, I see this as Disney. They have the classic saying that they always do before their fireworks show. And they felt such a strong cultural shift in our country that they felt they needed to remove gendered language from the welcoming to a fireworks show. That's the weirdness of it is, is the shift in our country is so much so that Disney would feel feel propelled to do this. All right, you guys. Now, speaking of cultural revolution occurring in the country, Disneyland changing one of its classic legacy phrases for its fireworks show, let's think of some other things that I've recently seen that have to do with just these weird attacks on classic Americana kind of things that the left just seems to want to destroy these days. Guess what? 
next up on the list of things the left must destroy and prevent us from celebrating ever again, the Alamo. (laughs) Now this like hurts a little bit. I live right north of San Antonio where the Alamo is and it's kind of like a big deal. You know, the Alamo, it's like in a ton of movies, there is the, the classic movie, but like the wild west cowboys and the whole era of America that that was is such a big part of our culture and history. And so, no, it wasn't perfect. It was kind of gruesome in so many ways, but most of history was. And so we live in a very luxurious and fluffy uh, society right now in 2021. But, oh boy, life was really hard back then, especially during situations in the Wild West and specifically with the Alamo. So let's look at what the Washington Post opinion piece that I found says. The title is Texas Republicans Rush to Guard the Alamo from the Facts. From the facts. So it's by Jason Stanford, who's an Austin based writer. Wow, a Texan attacking the Alamo. You gotta love it. Uh, Let's see. With over 300 RSVPs, the event hosted by the Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin was shaping up to be the highlight of our virtual book tour for Forget the Alamo, the Rise and Fall of an American Myth. But about four hours before showtime last Thursday, my co-authors, Brian and Chris, and I received an email from our publisher. The Bullock had backed out, citing, quote, increased pressure on social media. Apparently, the State History Museum was no place to discuss state history. So they're trying to say that the Alamo was a myth removing it from American culture. This isn't how things are supposed to work, even in Texas, but the truth turned out to be even worse. (laughs) The State History Museum wasn't bowing to social media pressure, but to political pressure from the state's Republican lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, who claimed credit for the kill the next day. I think conservatives have to be more aggressive like that. We have to fight back and defend and protect the things that we love and the heritage that we have, the culture that we have, the the history that we want to protect. And so I think it's cool that Dan Patrick was like, yep, that was me. I actually fought up and I didn't just complain. I I actually caused change. So good for Dan Patrick. He said, quote, as a member of the preservation board, I told staff to cancel this event as soon as I found out about it. This fact-free rewriting of Texas history has no place. All right. I kind of like it. That Guys, look how simple it is to stand up, admit that you are standing up and just say, yeah, do you have a problem with that? I'm going to defend American history. <laughs> so let's see what happened next. <sighs> okay. As the Post noted in its review of our book, we, quote, challenge the traditional view of the Alamo saga, one popularized by Disney and John Wayne and cemented by politicians in the Texas school curriculum. So see how they're distorting history. They're finding problems with the way that history was with the Alamo, just like they are with the fact that America was founded in 1776, not 1619. And so they're going to try and change it. They're going to try and change it. Uh, the The heroic Anglo narrative is that in 1836, about 200 Texans, as white settlers were known to distinguish them from Tejanos, oh, Texians, my bad, fought a doomed battle at a Spanish mission in San Antonio against thousands of Mexican troops, buying General Sam Houston enough time to defeat tyranny in the form of Mexican ruler Santa Ana and win freedom for Texas. The myth leaves much out, but most notably that Texans opposed Texians opposed Mexican laws that would free the enslaved workers they needed to farm cotton. So we need to cancel the Alamo because slavery got to cancel the Alamo because of slavery. Do you see how they're just finding anything that they can to claim white supremacy 
throughout all of history. Now we have to erase the Alamo's history. You guys, come on. (laughs) So politicians barricading the figurative doors of the Alamo in defense of the myth are nothing new. In 2018, a panel reviewing the state history curriculum suggested not requiring seventh graders to learn that those who died in the Alamo were heroic. Republican state political leaders, including Senator Ted Cruz and Land Commissioner George Bush, George P. Bush, the nephew and grandson of presidents and the state holder with, oh, the state office holder with oversight of the historic site, reacted as if the Alamo were once again besieged. No, this is just like when we had the problem with them tearing down statues. It's because it's it's important for us to respect and understand history and not distort it just to fit your political woke narrative, claiming that anything having to do with white people versus colored people was some sort of white supremacy. Is that so bad? Either way, Republican Governor Greg Abbott tweeted, stop political correctness in our schools. Of course, Texas school children should be taught that Alamo defenders were heroic. Bada bing, bada boom. Either way, come on, you guys. This is really a stretch. Alamo had nothing to do with white supremacy, but now I I could go on in this article, but it's basically trying to justify why we need to cancel the Alamo because white supremacy. You gotta love it. So that's just another example. It's a classic American thing to celebrate cowboys, Texas, Celebrate the history of the Wild West, specifically the Alamo. It's a classic movie that I've seen since I was young. And uh, nope, it's too uniting. we got to get rid of it. White supremacy, racism, slavery, stuff like that. <laughs> and in other news of things that we have to eliminate from American society that should unite us because we're going through a cultural revolution, the New York Times decided to come out with an article titled, A Fourth of July Symbol of Unity That May No Longer Unite Us. And you betcha, guys, you Betcha, they were talking about the American flag. So I don't have access to the New York Times article, so I'm not going to read it out. But basically the tweet promoting the article said, Today, flying the American flag from the back of a pickup truck or over a lawn is increasingly seen as a clue, albeit an imperfect one, to a person's political affiliation in a deeply divided nation. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but if we're divided by who has a flag and who doesn't have a flag, I'd rather be on the side of the people that have an American flag on the back of their truck. Oh, wait, I do, on the back of my Jeep. All right, next up, so there's an article in Newsbusters by Brad Wilmouth. It says CNN's Brian Stelter promotes annual fossil fuel holocaust in climate panic segment. <laughs> and I just thought it was so strange. I mean, we always see them trying to compare things to the holocaust, and then it's kind of funny because the left that always wants to claim that we, they have to fight the Nazis and that they have to fight back against potential Holocaust happening again, all of these things. They're the ones that hate Jews. So it's just like <laughs> kind of weird how that works. Um, so CNN, Reliable Sources host Brian Stelter is always decrying misinformation from conservative media, but extreme climate panic is never considered inaccurate. On Sunday, he brought, a t- uh, he brought on two guests to describe how journalists must panic the public about the, quote, permanent emergency of climate change. Introducing global warming alarmist David Wallace-Wells of The New Yorker and Emily Atkin of the newsletter he did, Stelter engaged in hand-wringing. He said, meteorologists and reporters are running out of words. They're running out of words to describe the impacts of climate change. Unprecedented just doesn't cut it anymore. From drought and lethal heat waves out west, the related fires that have been raging in California and in Canada, recent flooding in Detroit, these are just a few of the deeply troubling stories that have been linked in various ways to climate change. So he continues to go on and go on, and then he eventually says... 
Estimates suggest the burning of fossil fuels kills about 10 million people every single year, which is dying on the scale of the Holocaust. In fact, larger than the Holocaust every single year. And yet, we don't see many public health stories. We don't see many moral crises stories addressed to that issue. So now the number of deaths is more so every year than that of the entire Holocaust. What an honorable statement by CNN's Brian Stelter.、Uh, wow. So I will say, when I used to give my Kami Fighting 101 speeches before COVID 19, I did a lot of like campus speeches and stuff like that when I was really first starting out. And I would always talk about. The groups of the left. I still do this speech. I've just changed it over time because you know, politics has changed so much since COVID. But I would talk about the organizations of the left, the funding that comes with them, their structure, the people leading them, their tactics, and、uh, how we can move forward and fight back against their own tactics. So the three tactics were, of course, Marxism, so dividing the population. We see classic Marxism of splitting the working class against the owning class. And then in America, especially, we're seeing cultural Marxism where you split people based on other forms of identity. So, race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, all of the wokeism that we're seeing from the liberals, the radical liberals of America today. So, there was Marxism, there was the distortion of language. And that was such a big one the, the controlling of the narrative by distorting facts and language. And I would Talk about how they changed really basic words. And we even saw this in 2020 and 2021. They changed what it means to have、um, herd immunity. It no longer had to do with the level of vaccination and infection in a population. It only has to do with vaccination now, if you look on the WHO website. So, those little changes, one of the other really my favorite example of this was when we saw sexual preference used by Amy Coney Barrett in her Supreme Court、um, questioning. Am I, what's the word for that? The hearing that she did before she became a justice in the Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett was asked a question by a Democratic senator about the LGBTQ community. And so Amy Coney Barrett just said a very casual response that was respectful and something along the lines of, you know, that's a person's sexual preference and I'm not going to hate them for their sexual preference. Something very simple. Joe Biden,、uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a ton of people on the left have used that term. Up until that point that she said it. But I kid you not, because they couldn't really find anything wrong with Amy Coney Barrett, they had to find some sort of fake outrage and manufacture a crisis around her being put into office because all they could really say is, like, oh my God, she adopted a black person. She is like white supremacy colonist. Who knows what? They were saying some crazy stuff. Well, when she said sexual preference, even though everybody else on the left has used that term before, they decided to make that the word that they were going to control. They decided to make that an offensive term. So, midway through the day, you have the senators starting to be like, How dare you say sexual preference? It's not a preference. Okay, you're born that way. Okay, it's not a preference. How dare you say that? Then, a couple hours later, there's headlines already. National news that Amy Coney Barrett says horrible t h i n g about the LGBTQ community. Sexual preference? It's not a preference. It's not a choice. You're born like this. And so now it's in the news. Next thing you know, I kid you not, by the end of the day, Merriam Webster Dictionary had the definition of sexual preference changed in the website to include an asterisk at the end of offensive term added to it. Yeah. 
So that happened literally in a span of 24 hours. By the end of the day, it had been changed in the de- the dictionary, the definition of sexual preference, to now be considered an offensive term with an asterisk on it, thanks to the manufactured crisis of the left. Well, those were kind of the two topics that I would talk about as tactics of the left throughout history, because we've seen instances of the distortion and the manipulation of language and fact in other socialist and leftist uprisings. And we've also seen, of course, Marxism play out in every single leftist uprising. And There's so much we could talk about there. But here's the third thing. The third thing I would talk about is how the left either has to manufacture a crisis and use it to their advantage, or they have to take a natural crisis that is already occurring and use that to their advantage and so kind of ride the wave on that. And so they have to manufacture one if one doesn't naturally exist. What I was dealing with pre-COVID-19, you guys, in my speech was climate change because at that time, the left was constantly saying, that we were going to die in 10 years because of climate change. AOC would get on stage and literally cry. I've seen her cry saying that she's scared to bring children into the world. She's scared to become pregnant and have children because she doesn't want to bring them into a world knowing they're going to face climate apocalypse and die from it. So what are you doing there? You're fear-mongering. You're scaring the population into supporting your radical policy proposal of the Green New Deal. That they had to manufacture. Then, of course, when COVID-19 hit, they no longer had to say, support us or you're going to die. Support us or everybody's going to die in 10 years. Instead, people were already dying. People were naturally dying of COVID-19. They were dying because of the pandemic, and the left was able to say, "Mm, less people would die if you supported Medicare for all, if you supported rent cancellation and loan forgiveness and XYZ socialist program that we want you to take on less people would be dying right now. We could save lives if you did this. And so they no longer had to say that we were going to die. People were already dying. What I see with this with Brian Stelter is getting back into that same classic uh, leftist communication tactic of telling us that we're going to die and manufacturing that crisis in our minds to freak us out into supporting the radical ideas. And um, it's, it's just, it's really disappointing to see that he would compare it to deaths by the Holocaust, but again, not shocking because these guys do it all the time and then they end up being the ones that are super anti-Israel. That's fine. But if, if, if you guys haven't seen that, I highly suggest you go check out the clip. I also am really trying, I'm trying to set it up so that I can play clips on the podcast and then you guys can hear the, the clip so that I don't have to read out <laughs> the text. I can just play the clip. You guys can listen to it and then we can talk about it. So that's my next goal. I've got to talk to Owen about that next. He's the guy who helps me with this. <laughs> Okay, so this is an interesting one. And you guys, I'm I'm not a really sciencey person. I'll be honest. Science was not my favorite thing in school. I really was not a fan of it. I was more of like a math person. Um, I liked trig, stuff like that. Science, not my cup of tea in terms of like learning in a classroom situation. But that Because of that, though, I'm really trying my best to research and learn and understand the actual science behind all of the, um, I'm scared to say it, all of the um, situations around masks and the pandemic. I don't want to get censored. That's the thing is like, I, I hear that if you just say it these days, you get in trouble and your video goes down. And so I'm really trying to not limit myself and the opportunity to reach more people <laughs> because I've already gotten in trouble. I've like, I've actually on Facebook gotten, um, 
in trouble with them for I, I don't know what. I don't know if it was me posting about January S-I-X-T-H um, because I like remember sharing some of the videos when they were first coming out about like the people inside of the building and just being like, whoa, look at this. Like, look what's happening. And my page got demonetized on Facebook. And I was told that my engagement was going to be limited. And what's funny is last week I was with my dad. He came down to visit me in Texas and kind of helped me finish all the projects around the house um, that I'm doing. Because I, I think I honestly don't know, but I think I might rent out this house as like a, a rental property and then maybe go somewhere else, but I just don't know yet. And so I, I just want to get the house in like a really good place where if I did decide to rent out and go somewhere else and like have this be an investment property, I could. So my dad came down to help me with it because I was just so overwhelmed with all the projects. Um, and I was with him and I was scrolling through Facebook because we were doing some flag business stuff, promoting some of the, the new products that we have. And I got the notification that even though I was banned back in January from monetization and, and I had my engagement limited on Facebook, I have been a good girl, apparently. <laughs> Just kidding. I haven't like changed anything about myself, but apparently I've pleased the Facebook overlords and I have my monetization back and I have my full outreach back. I mean, maybe they like shadow ban me now and they're just telling me that I'm still able to reach everybody now. <laughs> and it's just a total lie. But Hey, I apparently was a good enough girl to please Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook overlords and the fact checkers and everybody. So I'm back, I guess. Just kidding. I, I didn't change a single thing about how I communicated, <laughs> but when it comes to these videos, I heard that they like really track what you say. So who knows? I mean, I'm already screwed in that department, I guess, but either way, like I was saying, I'm not really into science. I wasn't as a student. And so when it comes to this, I mean, this, this crisis that we're in, in terms of the power struggle, the balance of power between the people versus the government, the authoritarianism we're seeing all in the name of science. Well, it makes me want to understand the science on things a little bit more. And so I started, I uh, really looked into the, the trans issue with the Olympics. Uh, and I talked about this in a previous episode about the transgender athlete being allowed the international Olympic committee. When you look at the science, their only requirement for a trans person that is a biological male that identifies as female to compete against biological women is to have for one year before competing uh, a level of 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone. When, when the science on this, now that I'm like getting more into the science of things, the science shows that women don't have anywhere near that level and that 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone is actually five times the level of testosterone in a natural born woman. So Wow, that's quite the anti-science take by the International Olympic Committee. Well, ever since that, I was like, dang, I really like to know the science on this stuff because it's fun to have the science on your side and then to talk to a leftist that's telling you you're hateful and that they're the one that is advocating in the name of science. You know, you got to love that stuff. But either way, found this post. Sorry, I'm like really getting off, to getting off topic right now. I found a post by Deborah Williams. She is a health and wellness advocate. And she shared an article by Matthew Burke in Liberty Daily. All right, so we're just going to read a little bit of this article because it's fascinating and so disturbing. Uh, here we go. We on Team Reality have not only continued to point out real-world data that shows masking to be entirely ineffective, we've also maintained that forced public masking, especially long-term, has negative societal and even health ramifications that the powers that be are all too happy to ignore in subservience to their newfound mask god. 
It only stands to reason that one of those health ramifications would be the fact that millions of people, particularly children, have been forced to wear and carry around masks or pieces of cloth they've continually breathed on and through for hours on end. What lurking pathogens might be found in these disgusting contraptions being incessantly handled, stuck in pockets, and mindlessly tossed on books, tables, and desks? Well, one group of Florida parents sent a batch of masks worn by their children to a lab to find out. Oh, and yeah, you'll probably need to make sure you aren't eating at dinner anytime soon before you digest these results. So this reminds me, like, have you ever seen those blue lights that they put into hotel rooms and then the hotel rooms covered in germs? Like I spend so many days and nights in hotel rooms every, every month. And so whenever I get there, I'm like, <laughs> like even before COVID, I was just really very aware of all of the germs that were around me. So I, this is going to be a little creepy, I'm sure. Here we go. So, a group of parents in Gainesville, Florida, concerned about potential harms for masks, submitted six face masks to a lab for analysis. The resulting report found that five masks were contaminated with bacteria, parasites, and fungi, including three with dangerous, pathogenic, and pneumonia-causing bacteria. No viruses were detected on the mask. No, no viruses were detected on the mask, although the test is capable of detecting viruses. No viruses on the mask. The analysis detected the following 11 alarming, dangerous pathogens on the masks. I'm creeped out. Uh, okay. So pneumonia, tuberculosis, meningitis, I don't know the word of this one, keratitis and granulomatous amoebic encephalitis. That's a long one. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, this one says pneumonia, bloodstream infections, meningitis, UTIs that are resistant to antibiotics. One is food poisoning. Another causes Lyme disease. And the other is called diphtheria. Oh my gosh, the list goes on. Okay, that's gross. Uh, Legionnaires disease. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, you guys. I hope all the smarter people out there are like, whoa, this is bad. Um, high morbidity rates with this severe infections on this one pathogen, meningitis, sepsis. Half of the masks were contaminated with one or more strains of pneumonia-causing bacteria. One-third were contaminated with one or more strains of meningitis-causing bacteria. One-third were contaminated with dangerous, antibiotic-resistant bacterial pathogens. In addition, less dangerous pathogens were identified, including pathogens that can cause fever, ulcers, acne, yeast infections, strep throat, periodontal disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and more. <laughs> What are we doing to our poor kids? The face masks studied were new or freshly laundered before wearing and had been worn for five to eight hours, most during in-person schooling by children aged six through 11. How sad is that? One was, born by, one was worn by an adult, a t-shirt worn by one of the children at school, and unworn masks were tested as controls. No pathogens were found on the controls. Proteins were found on the t-shirt, for example, but they were not pathogenic to humans and are commonly found in hair, skin, and soil. You guys, that's disgusting. And so, like, for all the people that are like, well, kids are always exposed to germs. They're always going to have that. Like, what do you expect? I'm sorry, but 
all of the controls, including the clothing worn by children, is not covered on this. It's just the mask that they're breathing in and out of for eight hours a day at a time, these 6 to 11-year-olds. A parent who participated in the study, Ms. Amanda Donahoe, commented that this single sample points to the need for more research. Quote, we need to do what we are putting, we need to know what we are putting on the faces of our children each day. Masks provide a warm, moist environment for bacteria to grow. Ugh, this is gross. These local parents contracted with the lab because they were concerned about the potential contaminants on masks that their children were forced to wear all day at school, taking them on and off, setting them on various surfaces, wearing them in the bathroom, etc. This prompted them to send them to the University of Florida's mass spectrometry, sorry guys, spectrometry research and education center for analysis. Wow, that is, you know, you guys... I can't believe we do this to our kids. I can't believe that there's blue states and some places still where you're still required to wear masks. Like I, I'd never wear a mask ever unless I like have to travel by plane. And in that case, I'm like, mm, fine. Uh, because like, eh, you know, you got to do it. Like if I'm working in my pro freedom initiative and work and I'm like going to speak to a crowd or going to an event and I need to promote my mission, and I just have to wear a mask. I'm like, fine, I'll do it on the airplane only. Um, but what was really sad is like, I've been in Texas since October and I've never really had to wear a mask here. Um, and so I, ever since I've been going to this workout class in my town and all these women, we get together like dozens of us in a room every morning and we then go about our day and we never wear a mask and we work out with each other in this small room. We do a bar class, Pilates. And I feel horrible because all of these months where I'm going to this class and I'm just living my life maskless and like so many of us are, we're just living our normal lives. I see on the news that like another school is now requiring kids to wear masks all day or a summer camp just announced that kids are going to be forced to wear masks outside. The list goes on and I just feel horrible for these young children. And in my view, I think these young kids are going to grow up and they're going to have this huge lack of respect and trust for authority because they're, they were the guinea pigs. They were the pawns that were forced to go through so much of this during COVID. And they're going to see the science. I think they're going to see the science on this as they come of age and as they become their own thinkers and adults. And they're going to say, you guys fell for this and made us do that. You know what I mean? Like this might be a huge lesson for them in terms of when to trust authority and when not. And, you know, authority isn't always going to have your best interest at heart. So uh, I think this is a huge lesson for these children when they grow up one day. Okay, and to kind of finish it off, let's do another similar health-related thing, another weird woke thing that I saw. I'm in a cute conservatives group for Turning Points Politics show by Alex Clark. And it's it's an interesting and fun group to be in because the girls will, will share like, Oh, I was following this. I was following this influencer and look at this crazy thing that they posted. And it's interesting for me to see it. Cause like all of these weird woke things are happening and they are done by kind of micro influencers or people that, that don't make it to national news, but it's, it's really indicative of this greater trend that we're seeing. And it's showing that it's really widespread, this, this woke talk. And, and so a great example just came up and I saw it and I wanted to share it with you guys. This girl, uh, Defining.Fitness, she has 29,000 likes on this picture of her posing in a bikini. Who cares? Um, but 
the caption is what really caught the girl's attention. So the caption says, if I saw the first pic on my feed, I would assume that girl looked like that all day. Heck no. Swipe to the end to see how many pics I took in the exact same spot just to choose one pick for this post. When you're in an industry surrounded by the most beautiful, fit models, it can be hard to go to these huge content houses and not compare yourself, even as someone in a white, privileged, straight-sized body. (laughs) I'm just here to remind you that your body is normal and beautiful at any angle. Now, you guys, in a way, that was a really sweet message. But there was just one weird sentence. It was technically to show people that, you know, what you see on social media isn't real life, that everybody, no matter how pretty they look, she's really beautiful and skinny, no matter how beautiful you look on social media, everybody compares themselves and everybody feels less than sometimes. So that's a nice message, right? But why does this girl with 30,000 likes on her picture, so she must have some influence, Why does she have to add that even someone in a white, privileged, straight-sized body? Do you see how it just doesn't make sense anymore? It's just like word vomit. They just kind of throw all their weird, woke jargon out there, and it's the cool thing to do. And so now even this random fitness model with 30,000 likes, again, on this picture of her in a bikini, is talking about how she's privileged, white, and straight body-sized. What does that mean? I don't know. It's hard to keep up these days, but thank you to the girl in the cute servative group that shared this. So fascinating to see what goes on these days on social media. Um, You guys, I'll check in. I'm um, unable to do two episodes this week, and so I'm just going to do this one. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. I'll see you next week. I'm probably going to be coming at you live from my studio in upstate New York. I'm going to go stay there for a little bit, so I'll see you guys there. Again, video version on YouTube. My podcast is on all the podcast platforms, mostly Spotify and Apple for the people that like those as their favorites. Please give me a five-star review on the Apple podcast platform and leave a comment on YouTube. Okay, thanks guys. Bye, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week.